0: kyle style podcast episode 45 is brought to you in part by kyle style design visit redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash kyle style design and get some original artwork by me on uh, leggings book covers prints and phone cases and uh contribute to the podcast that way or head over to the gofundme page and uh drop me a dollar or uh, like, a million dollars, really. Like, you should just take your bank account, empty it out, and put it in my GoFundMe, and I'll just keep making podcasts so it's not like you're getting nothing in return, you know? So this episode is called Visions of the Apocalypse, Astral Impact. So, something that has uh, long reared its head, even since the uh, you know early 1800s, mid-1800s, is this idea of the realization that you know we're flying through outer space right that we aren't the the sky isn't a dome you know the earth isn't flat we have a gas cloud around a rock and we're flying through outer space and there's other stuff out there right comets meteors and you see meteors and meteorites and by some accounts the uh the kaba in Mecca has a stone that is from a meteor so in some sense Muslims go on the hajj and they walk around and around a building that has a meteor in it okay meteorite I suppose and comets have long been portents and uh omens of evil and bad tidings right and in some sense, that is that, that is ultimately true, yet not true in the sense that, you know, maybe ancient peoples thought, right? It doesn't mean that the comet has any influence on the Earth because they're just, you know, like icy balls flying through outer space and you see the long tail and, and all this. So it it uh, is, is spectacular to see, but there's no real influence there. However when these things come round and around and if you're doing your I don't know calculus and you know mathematical models sometimes we intersect paths with these objects and we call these meteor showers and sometimes you have this one like in Russia from a few years ago where it actually came down in the middle of the day and lit up the sky and it crashed into a building and actually injured some people and uh, you realize that the earth is in a shooting gallery, I think is Sagan, maybe, uh, maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson put it. There is a kind of like a minefield of astral bodies out there that are just flying through space just waiting. Just, Just one of them's got our number on it right now, okay? So previous episode was about nuclear war right now that's something we have 100% control over right whether we escalate tensions whether we build more and more nukes whether we build anti-nuke weapons whether we uh, you know allow individual you know rogue nations to get their hands on stacks of nukes we as human beings have complete control over whether the nuclear apocalypse scenario happens now this one Is a little bit more is of course beyond our control. And doing a little research on this, it's that uh, you know you 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 hear the story, or at least that's our that's our current understanding is that the uh, dinosaurs right were wiped out by a uh, an impact from some astral body right. And this is uh this is thought to be the uh in the Yucatan the uh, I'm gonna mess this up but Chicxulub impact crater is thought to be the crater caused by the impact of the body the impactor that wiped out the dinosaurs and that impactor was estimated to be 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles well, and maybe slightly larger uh, across right so the size of a you know the size of a small town, basically a small city, right. And as I said, we have the, we have the technical capability to anticipate one of these events. And yet we are not doing it. (laughs) We monitor near Earth objects, uh, because we launch our, you know, satellites and our, our rockets, and we have our ISS space stations and our communication satellites and all that stuff, and so we monitor all the space junk and debris and all these pieces of stuff that are up there that uh, could impact some of our expensive uh, gadgetry up there. So we monitor a lot of those things and we plan our launches accordingly, but you start to go further and further out and we just aren't monitoring. I mean the sky is really huge and space is really deep, so you have to like look in all directions and you have to look further and further away to really anticipate an, an object that's headed our way, and then there's complex, you know, mathematics that they do to determine whether or not something's going to hit us. So I'm going to walk through a few, uh, a few pieces of fiction and media that uh, kind of portray this uh, astral impact and what the, uh, what the effects of, of that would be. Now, of course, in one sense, you could just have a huge meteor that just slams into the Earth and just blasts it to pieces, and it's just instantly kind of over for everybody, right? There's no, there's no woe is me. There's no, there's not even a oh my God. It just the whole Earth just you know eradicated, right? But that doesn't make for a super good story, right? That's a little too fast, a little too brutal, and, uh, you know, it's probably actually more likely, it's probably more like what's going to happen is we just get absolutely shattered by some flying space rock, but we have created uh, various narratives for the social and personal impacts and the civilizational level impacts, and we've told them in stories and movies, So. Let's start at the beginning, what I call the lead up, right in in movies like Deep Impact and Armageddon, which are kind of technically honorable mentions in this uh, in this particular context because you know, uh, they don't actually destroy the world. spoilers, but uh, in Deep Impact and Armageddon, you have some technical capacity. you have telescopes or something like that where people discover that there is a body headed our way and then there's a rush to uh to uh, determine its trajectory and its size and velocity and its composition and what can we do to stop it and all this right and each typically these kind of impact stories have this element to them right uh there's another. There's a book that I stumbled upon that uh, was a great read. It's called uh, Lucifer's Hammer, and Lucifer's Hammer. One of the main characters that it centers around is this guy. Uh, his actual name in the story is Hamner, and so they name the comet Hamner after him. But then it gets interpreted by the media as Hammer, and so they called it the comet Lucifer's Hammer. Right? A little. Fictional word etymology there. So, same concept. They see the thing coming, and they start to calculate whether it's going to hit us. And then word gets out, and you start to have social pressure and tension. Right? You start to have breakdowns of, you know, why why is anybody trying to go to work? Why is it, why would you continue to do anything if you know that there's this you know massive body flying at the earth and it's just going to wipe out all of civilization? And as opposed to, uh, you know, deep impact on Armageddon, we we launch our, you know, our whatever spaceships we can muster, and we take like nukes up there, and we do some kind of tricky, you know, complex thing to drill into it and knock it off course and blow it to pieces and all this. Well, that is that makes for a great sci-fi story, but man. I mean, we recently just landed a comet, uh, or landed a, a little flying space probe on a comet, and it was the first time that's ever been done. So if you're going to take one of these movies and, you know, you're going to land Bruce Willis and, and uh, Ben Affleck on an asteroid, and then they're going to run drilling equipment and drill into it, gets a little, uh, you know, that's not real life, right? But it looks super cool. Probably one of Michael Bay's best films. <laughs> uh so I want to throw out another one an honorable mention here though, which is uh, the 1984 movie Night of the Comet, which is a the threat of a comet, right? A comet flies by the earth and makes the sky all pretty colors, but it's actually not an impact story, and the threat from that comet will come up in a uh, another episode. So, so you're moving from this lead-up, right? So maybe you detect it early, maybe you launch spaceships to try to blow it up, maybe you fire nukes at it, and you try to, uh, start, people start trying to dig uh, underground bases and all this kind of stuff. And it leads up to, you know, the impact, right? So all of this, uh, the... the all the character development you usually see is people dealing with the panic and the fear, trying to find a, a place that they can hide, trying to you know race against the clock to bring this you know bring this asteroid down, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the moment of truth when the actual impact happens. Now, primarily, like I said before, that if the meteor just came down and just eradicated the Earth, that wouldn't really be too much of a story, right? If, however, it is maybe just ten kilometers across. It's like the size of the one that wiped out the dinosaurs. Comes down super fast, boom! Like super huge, you know, teraton or tetraton uh, explosion. Blows rocks and dust into the atmosphere. Just sends out a shock wave that creates tsunamis. Shocks the inner core of the Earth and creates volcanoes and earthquakes and a plume of ash and debris that just rains down over the entire planet and creates uh, for lack of a better word it's a nuclear winter scenario right well in uh, in the case of like Armageddon uh and Deep Impact both from what 1998 so 20 year old movies uh we avoid that fate uh Armageddon we gotta leave it behind here because Bruce Willis saves the world all right, and the and the asteroid doesn't impact us. In the movie Deep Impact, you had like a partial impact, so they blew the thing apart, and part of it keeps coming, and the other part they kind of do something else with. So there's a partial impact, and it hits in the Atlantic, I think, if I remember right, and then it like blows a giant tsunamis of uh, up onto the land, and it like washes all the way over the Appalachian Mountains and all this. So, but the Earth survives, and it wasn't so huge that it. Uh, that it uh, causes this nuclear winter scenario, right? And there's another uh, honorable mention here from uh, Starship Troopers, like one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. This, uh, the movie is not at all like the book, by the way. Uh, The book is much more like technical and kind of uh, sterile. Uh, Didn't have the charm of the film, but in the film, the, the arachnid uh, alien menace they use uh, they use uh, some technology they have to launch asteroids at us right They intentionally start firing asteroids at us. and so uh, the, the city of Buenos Aires gets you know wiped out by one of these asteroid impacts and we find out that it was sent on purpose by these arachnids and that's what starts the war. War, we're going to war. Okay, now that's again an honorable mention. Uh, something like that would be uh, tragedy and horrific if one, you know, one city gets leveled by an atomic bomb from the, from outer space, basically. Uh, and it's the same with this uh, Tunguska explosion in uh, Siberia back in what was it, 1890 something, or 19 early 19 something. Basically, this happened to hit out in a completely, uh, uh, you know, uninhabited place except for like maybe some caribou and reindeer super huge explosion laid down forests, started huge fires right and you can still see the evidence of the impact today so we're constantly under threat from these minimal level impacts you know the one in Russia just kaboom comes down and hits a building injures some people bigger and bigger they get you get up to maybe 10 kilometers across and could be the end of functional human civilization okay now here's where we're gonna Go into the depths of the uh, sort of more savage uh, narratives. So here I'm going to take I'm gonna take Cormac McCarthy's The Road and I'm gonna lump it in here because I'm probably not gonna really talk about super volcanoes in this uh, little series here I'm doing. Uh, In my opinion the road is not he he intentionally left it uh, ambiguous but the road is not a nuclear war story. I intentionally left it out of the last one because if he had intended it to be a nuclear war thing he would have mentioned fallout or radiation or something Um, but he also doesn't say that it is an asteroid impact but it says uh, you know he saw a long shear of light followed by a series of low concussions so you know it could be kind of anything but in this case, I'm calling it a, uh, because of the lack of radiation, etc., etc., I'm calling it a uh, asteroid impact. So, the road is the story of the man and the boy, and they don't have names, and they are, they shelter in place for a while until they run out of supplies, and then they head south, presumably. They are actually in, uh, they're in North America, they're up somewhere north, I'm assuming, like Minnesota, something like that, and then they head south, and they take years and years to walk south, and they scavenge for food and fuel and everything else, and the whole tone of the book is gray, and everything's covered in ash, and everything's burning, and there's, you know, there's savage cannibals that roam the streets and try to feed on people, and it's a complete Abandonment of uh, there's basically a complete abandonment of all general civilized principles, right? And then that's kind of what that story is about. Is about the man trying to impart to the boy values about doing good in the world and trying to have hope when it's apparently hopeless. Like there's not, there's no farms, you know, and there's no livestock, and there's no technology, there's no real power sources anymore. They can't even find people that don't try to kill them, and yet, you know, this, you know, you t- try to apply the lessons to our world. Anyway, rambling, and so that's kind of what's going on on the surface of the Earth, right? And you could take that story and you could put it in any continent in any continent or any culture, and it could basically be the same, uh, you know, the same sort of story. Now. There's another book that I happened to stumble upon at, uh, at a Goodwill. They were doing like a two for one thing. And I found this book that looked corny as hell. Uh, it's called Cannibal Rain. And it, it looked like trashy sci-fi, and it is, but it was surprisingly readable and surprisingly cool. It was a surprisingly good uh, treatment on the idea of a uh, asteroid impact. And this story centers around a uh, it's a group of Green Berets of course and they have some kind of advanced knowledge about this uh, meteor that's going to impact them and they start retrofitting an old uh, missile silo into an underground uh, bomb shelter and they you know, they update it, they, uh, they paint it and clean it up, and they start stocking it with all these supplies, right? They're booze, to cigarettes, to candy, to toilet paper, and food and everything else. And they create a list of people whom they want to bring into their underground shelter. And they have to, you know, they, they he describes their fearless leader, um, what's his name again? Yeah, Green Beret Jack Forrest. And he has a whole, you know, criteria. Like, why is this person here? They have to have skills. They have to, uh, they have to have something to offer. They have to keep a balance between men and women because they don't want too many men and women, and etc. etc. Not too many children, this kind of thing. And they ride it out in this uh, underground shelter. While on the surface, because they've put up cameras around where the entrance to their uh, bases, they can see the decay, um, the descent into savagery, and of course, the book is called *Cannibal Rain*. So, basically, everybody on Earth starts trying to kind of eating each other. Once all the main, you know, food supplies are are gone, they start feeding on the long pork that's walking around all around them. And so, in similar to a zombie thing, a little bit, you know, where these things might eat you, they then have to, of course, venture out from time to time and they have, you know, little sub adventures and everything else. And you see the savagery that human beings will resort to in the event of that nuclear winter scenario where you know that there aren't going to be. There's no army anymore, there's no social order, there's no uh, rule of law, and there's no food production happening. There's no production of any kind happening, right? People are just chasing each other down the streets and killing and eating each other. And that is quite possible uh, in this particular scenario when you have this impact that isn't so huge that it just you know level absolutely levels the whole earth, but it is large enough to cause secondary earthquakes and block out the sun and you have this massive impact that starts huge fires and everything else. And if the earth isn't prepared for this kind of impact, this is what would happen. And uh, Lucifer's hammer is similar is a similar kind of story. You could almost put the two in kind of the same universe, right, where it's the same kind of impact. Uh, but in Lucifer's Hammer, it impacts like in the Pacific Ocean, I think, and then uh, it's not, the, the nuclear winter aspect isn't so prevalent, partially maybe because it hit in the ocean, I'm not sure how all that stuff works, but uh, in uh, Lucifer's Hammer, you also see this, you see people, you see the weak fleeing, you see the strong kind of unifying and uh, turning to cannibalism, and you organizing into these press gangs of cannibals, and they start to go after uh, stores of food, weapons, and they start to chase down all the you know the quote unquote good people. And you have this clinging to the technology, right? In cannibal rain, it's the underground base, and they have power supplies, they have fuel and food, and so they can retain a semblance of civilization down there. They have you know video games and everything else, and they try to celebrate holidays and do all this. Lucifer's hammer is the same way. You have people fleeing to safe places where they then have to organize and build defenses and uh, and recreate power sources and things. And there's a great uh, kind of technical approach that these stories kind of take with these things, where people being crafty and kind of being technical and valuable in that sense, help other help each other survive right and this why part of why these stories are interesting of course almost any apocalypse story is interesting is that uh as in the road you see how this uh father is able to be clever and he's able to look in look in all the hidey holes and find all of the hidden goodies and he knows how to build things and construct things and that helps them to survive now in the modern normal contemporary world it feels like that doesn't matter anymore I mean you can just kind of ride it out on like public assistance in some cases you can just cling on to someone else and they just give you money and you don't actually have to know how to do anything right you can have trophy wives and things who are probably not even interesting, they don't even do anything, they just maybe stay pretty and their husband pays for them. So this person actually can't change a tire, they can't change a light bulb, they can't program a computer, they can't build a generator, they can't fire a gun, they can't do anything. And it's part of what these stories are often about, these post-impact type stories, is that there's this culling, right? In some sense the cannibals on the surface are like the uh... The grasshopper and the ant right the grasshoppers didn't think ahead they didn't concern themselves with these things and they didn't prepare themselves in any way to have skills be valuable uh, plan ahead and so they are now forced to kind of feed on each other in their own living cannibalistic hell sorry rambling again so you have this idea of uh, the survivability of a specific group, right? You have to stock your supplies. And Cannibal Rain was actually pretty. You kind of went in depth on this. It was about you know how much food each person needs for you know, x number of months, and how much water everybody needs, and uh, medicine, uh, special medicines for all the inhabitants, and how many men are gonna are gonna be to women, and you know here, here's what, how much chocolate we have, all this kind of thing and people want to believe in that right there's uh that's part of why we have this huge prepper kind of phenomenon nowadays and the uh even more adorable uk preppers which was just just cute to see <laughs> people in the uk uh talking about fleeing to the countryside <laughs> it's like as though it's the same thing as what we got going on here uh sorry limeys it just ain't the same we have artillery and (laughs) people are building tanks and all this stuff and then they're they're talking about you know carrying BB guns and stuff It was adorable anyways people have this idea that they want to survive this cataclysm and I don't know you know if it was something like the uh, the uh, the one that wiped out the dinosaurs I don't know how long you have. I don't know how long you'd have to ride it out down uh, underground. You know, there's. I mean, it's possible you could like. Uh, well, well, okay. So even so, so, let's let's go back. So even uh, Lucifer's hammer had this future, this um, this larger conflict happening between these uh, uncivilized savages of cannibals, right, who want to just consume and survive. And then the civilized, uh, intelligent kind of people are trying to rebuild a functioning society and get, uh, you know, get nuclear power plants back online, that kind of thing. And then they have to defend them, and you know, it's it's basically like killing orcs or killing zombies or killing these cannibals. And that's really what that symbolism is: is that despite the chaos, reason and order and logic can prevail. Because in the in the event of the impact scenario, the real danger isn't really from the nuclear winter, and it's not really from uh, you know the fires and the ash and the explosion of the impact. The real danger comes from desperate, uh, hungry human beings, right? So when you're talking about long-term survival talking about people trying to retain knowledge retain technologies and bring them back uh to usage so that you don't have as much scarcity right so talking about long-term uh survivability this gets strange because I like I tried to find some fiction about this stuff but and there's a lot of books that have uh these elements to them like uh that there that there was an impact in the past. It's similar to the post-apocalyptic nuclear fiction where it's already past when the event happened, and people are living in you know maybe hundreds of years afterward. And so there's just too many, and I'm not going to read them all. So I'll try to maybe include a few links to some of those that I haven't read as well in this uh, in this uh, post here. But but you know long term, what are you going to do? Uh, geothermal energy, right? Because if the the sky's blocked out, you can't really have solar, and you can't grow crops when there's no sunlight. So maybe a geothermal power source, or maybe nuclear, and then you run grow lights. And I don't know how many grow lights you can make, and how, how much food you can, how many people you can keep alive with just, uh, you know, just like grown food sources and then livestock I mean are you gonna grow enough with grow lights you're gonna grow enough wheat to feed cows and then keep a breeding population of cows and you know do you know how to make grow lights do you know how to make you know, do you know how to make uh enriched uranium pellets for the uh, rods for the nuclear reactor these things become... I, th- I think pretty untenable really long term. So you have to do what they try to do in Cannibal Rain, which is try to wait out this limited nuclear winter until a point where you could grow crops again. And another part of that story is a is a, a subplot with people who are living in Hawaii. Because it's, you know, it's it's sort of more tropical there and it's isolated it's safe and they prepare the islands to kind of weather this storm and they subvert you know uh, air, navy aircraft carrier nuclear reactors and use them to power the cities and power grow lights and all this kind of thing and so they kind of build a system that can sustain all the people and they intend they intend to make a functioning society that lasts by using these technologies and that's a very clever technical solution to that particular um, impact scenario okay so now we move past this though and we're going to go we're going to go off the rails now now we're going to go off the rails and we're going to go in the super future and <laughs> Uh this is I can't even say this is one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite what the fuck movies. It's one of the strangest weirdest movies ever. Right? <laughs> uh 1995 action comedy Tank Girl starring Lori Petty, Ice-T, Naomi Watts and Malcolm McDowell. And Tank Girl was a comic book, and this the sub or the uh, the the background plot is that there was a comet impact, okay, and it caused a, a drought. I don't know the science behind that, but you know that's what they they live in a world where there's a drought, so water is incredibly valuable. Uh, so Tank Girl. Uh, has a battle with uh Malcolm McDowell's company called Water and Power who want to control all of the water and they restrict all the agriculture and everything and so Lori Petty is this uh well ta- Lori Petty is tank girl and she's like a punk rock chick with the piercings and she's like silly and stuff and uh they they get she gets a tank obviously and they go to war with water and power to free the water for the people and it's it's just like I mean I'll try to include I mean Ice T is in it but he's not Ice T he's a kangaroo right Ice T is a mutant kangaroo like ninja warrior <laughs> and there's like a, a a few of these guys they're like mutant kangaroo ninja warriors it's it's ridiculous but it's cool like you just it's just such a weird confusing thing to watch there's a musical number at one point. And there's just, I you just you have to see it. I mean, it might be able to find it online. Maybe I'll just post a trailer and in, in like a little playlist or something here. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's about all I got for the super far future, right? Uh, some long term solution to survive the impact, and you see this in various uh, various sci fi stuff tank girl you have people ultimately kind of riding it out and it's sort of like well humanity's going to make it it just got knocked back to you know it got knocked back a little bit and so now we're going to reach to the conclusion right Kyle's going to solve this right here on the Kyle Style podcast so again we have the technical skills we have the awareness we have the knowledge and in some sense we should have the willpower to be on top of this problem okay because for each Tunguska or like the one in Russia a little while back these are small impacts relatively what if that Tunguska blast which is like kilometers across the explosion what if that came down on LA what if that came down on Shanghai what if that came down on Moscow right we would probably fire our nukes because we thought that it was a nuclear attack, right? <laughs> that's, how much, that's how stupid we are. Uh, and so one of these things would accidentally trigger the nuclear apocalypse, right? But uh, we have the skill of the technology to try to prevent this. And we'll go back to Starship Troopers for a second. After the Buenos Aires, uh, after the Arachnids launched an asteroid at us and it hit uh, Buenos Aires and wiped it out, we built a orbital anti-asteroid laser cannon system. And so when they the bugs try to throw uh, more space rocks at us, we have giant space turrets that shoot them and blow them up. Now. That's a little grandiose. It's a little, you know, it's a little sci-fi, comic booky, but something, you know, like um, super big nukes that could blow them up. Uh, maybe a series of nukes that can knock things off course, so that instead of being headed right towards us, you just nudge it and it goes a different direction. If you've watched any any documentaries or anything about the meteor impacts and this kind of stuff there's a whole bunch of different solutions. You could shoot like lasers at it and heat it up and get it to fracture. You could fly a spacecraft out to it and then, you know, direct it away. Uh, you could I don't know, try to try to catch it with something. I don't know. You know, I don't know. There's there's a whole bunch of solutions, but we don't even have one solution. We don't have a giant space laser that can shoot one of these things. We don't have a interceptor drone that could go out and uh, and steer one of these things away from us. And if we would have had one, you know, or if we if we were paying attention, we would already know where these things are and that they're headed towards us. And so, as with you know, cannibal rain, as with Lucifer's Hammer, as with Armageddon, Deep Impact. We have to make the choice that we're going to mill about on the Earth's surface behaving like savages, or we're going to take responsibility for the reality of our situation, which is that. You know, if you live in that post impact world, guess what, you need to find help, you need to find sanctuary, you need to make yourself useful, you need to make yourself valuable and you might have to fight for your survival, right. And in the case of Armageddon, deep impact, that kind of thing, you have to take responsibility for the actual situation that we we really live in in the real world, right, that there are giant space rocks that could fly down here and wipe out everything and when it does because it's an it's kind of a certainty that it will happen eventually when it does we have no recourse there's no complaining right we knew it could happen same with the nuclear war thing like we, we knew it could happen we all we had to do was build some more telescopes look at more of the night sky come up with solutions for various you know applications to protect ourselves from these giant space rocks because it might be Buenos Aires getting wiped out it might be Tunguska explosion it might be the big one right and we're not doing it you know we're we're, we spend all this money on defense and war us fighting each other right meanwhile somewhere out there in the void of space is a comet or a meteor that is pointed right at us and it's headed our way and it's just a matter of how long before it hits us and possibly turns our world into either a complete devastated graveyard or into a savage cannibalistic nightmare that only the strong will survive. So we got all deep and dark and crazy on that one. Uh, g- keep in mind, Tank Girl was where I was trying to end on that one. Tank Girl's ridiculous. It's fun. Uh, it's, it's a fun aspect to this whole thing. But, uh, you know, get out there and research some of your own stuff. Follow some of the links I got here. I definitely recommend Cannibal Rain. That one took me by surprise. Uh, it was a... Uh, I'll warn you, there's some graphic stuff. And there's some cheese cheese level uh male power fantasy stuff you got these guys down in this uh you know fall shelter and there's more women than men and so and of course it kind of describes them all as being attractive and the the you know what are you what are you going to do you know you, you someone has to lay all these women okay uh, you know here we go and so uh, there's there's this sort of ridiculous male power fantasy stuff going on. Of course, the main character is totally a Malisu. He never makes any mistakes. Uh, or if he does, it still works out. He never gets seriously injured. And his ideas kind of always work. And it, he's still a decent enough hero, though. He's a decent enough hero. He's kind of he's, it's believable. <laughs> but uh the book was surprisingly readable and i actually recommend it for one of those weird uh weird you know half price bookstore finds i'll post some links to get it online and uh lucifer's hammer which uh lucifer's hammer i've heard rumors that it was being made into maybe a mini series or a movie something like that this would be a super cool uh movie to be made right had some good story elements and some good action and everything else in it and of course it's an apocalypse story and of course here on the Kyle Style Podcast we love apocalypse stories and I'm assuming you do too so check out some of the links here Uh, Lucifer's Hammer uh, Armageddon Deep Impact The Road of course and uh, Cannibal Rain Tank Girl and I don't know when you're done with all that go back and watch Starship Troopers again because it couldn't hurt could it all right Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rambling Kyle Style Podcast. Uh, Check out the GoFundMe page. Head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash KyleStyleDesign. Get some original artwork, contribute to the podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.